Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. The woke madness in history education is off the rails. Well, how do we change it? McClanahanAcademy.com. And because you listen to this podcast, if you use the coupon code PODCAST at checkout, you get 25% off every day, all day, 365 days a year on every class at McClanahanAcademy.com. So go to McClanahanAcademy.com, use coupon code PODCAST at checkout, and get a real history education at 25% off. If you like this podcast and you want it without advertisements, head over to patreon.com and become a member of The Brian McClanahan Show. For 10 bucks a month, you get all the podcasts ad-free, including video, and you also get a special Q&A podcast. I'm only going to answer your questions, your listener-generated episodes, through those Q&As. So head over to patreon.com, Get this podcast ad-free, no ads, not even things like this, and you really do help support The Brian McClanahan Show with really cool stuff on the back end. Get the book that Kevin Goodsman called the single best volume on original intent ever written, My Founding Father's Guide to the Constitution. It is the book. When people ask me what's my favorite, that's the one. Pick it up wherever books are sold online and get a real education on the Constitution. A pending Supreme Court decision could destroy the entire tax code. We'll talk about that on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show, and happy 2024, everyone. Glad to be back program in the saddle. Let's get to it. So we've got a Supreme Court case where oral arguments were held in December. Of course, this is January 2024, but the decision won't be handed out until later in the year. So there's plenty of time to talk about this. But in this particular case, there's a challenge perhaps to the income tax. Now this is big because for years people have said, well, the income tax, even the way it's applied, is unconstitutional. Now, of course, the 16th Amendment allows for the Congress to tax income, and it allows it to be an indirect tax. That's very important. In fact, that's what I'm going to focus on most in this episode, the idea of an indirect tax or a direct tax. So let's look at the Constitution itself and the debate surrounding the Constitution, and then a very important Supreme Court decision that I actually talk about in my class, How the Supreme Court Screwed Up America at McClanahan Academy. You want to get that class because it's really awesome, and I do cover that. But I am going to refer to it in this particular episode. So what happened is you had a couple that had a $15,000 tax bill. What they had done is invest their money in an Indian corporation, an overseas corporation. Well, the Congress decided in 2017 that that money could be taxed, even if they never realized any income on it. In fact, you got a $15,000 one-time tax. So this couple sued saying that that tax is unconstitutional. It's a tax on property because they never received any income from it. So the question in this case is what is income? Is income where you actually receive money? Or could income be something where you invest? That money is then used to be put back in the corporation and then you never get anything even if it's not sent out to the shareholders. It's just reinvested is that income because the corporation's getting the money. You're not giving it, getting any dividends or anything from it, but still is that income? Well, the law in 2017 said it is. And this could actually go back 
to any money invested after 1986. So you're talking about, in some ways, I think the more appropriate way to look at this is an ex post facto law, right? So the Congress is saying, we don't care what happened. If you invested any of this money after 1986, you're going to get a $15,000 tax. So when the tax came in in 2017, these people had invested their money years before this, and yet they were slapped with a $15,000 tax bill. That should have been the way that they went after this law. Is it an ex post facto law? They're saying, well, we don't care what you did. You know, we, we, we don't care if this wasn't the case before this. We're doing it now, and you got to pay for back taxes, essentially, from years and years ago. Now, think about that, how dangerous this actually is for the Congress to do it. In fact, that's where the, the, the couple's attorneys should have really been attacking this tax. You can't do it. Anything after 2017, perhaps you could, but anything before that, you can't. So that's one big issue that should have really been addressed. And in fact, in the in the blog I'm going to talk about, which uh, updates us on the oral arguments in this particular case, that was something that some of the justices brought up. Well, should this be allowed? Should it be allowed to go back? But I don't know if they're going to go after that. They should. And in fact, if anybody who has any influence in the Supreme Court is listening to this, <laughs> to let the judges know, hey, maybe you should consider this. Now, of course, you can't do that, right? I and mean, I know it's that, that's not supposed to happen. But we know that judges do listen to things, and they, they think about things. We know that even Obamacare was upheld because it was a tax. And that's really important. You see, in 1796, 1796, very early on, the Supreme Court decided that um, just about anything could be taxed in the case of Hilton v. United States. That's an important thing to understand about all of this. Hilton v. United States is one of the most important Supreme Court cases in the history of the Supreme Court, and it's one of those that I talk about in my class because it really did screw up America. Because what happened in that particular case led us to define a direct and indirect tax. So the Constitution is pretty clear on taxing power. There is... Uh, a direct tax, and then there are indirect taxes. So Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3 says this. Representatives and direct taxes, direct taxes, I'm sorry, shall be apportioned among the several states, which may be included within this union, according to their respective numbers, which shall be determined by adding to the whole number of free persons, including those bound to service for a term of years, and excluding Indians not taxed, three-fifths of all of the persons. So, Representatives and direct taxes are apportioned among the states. And of course, this got into the three-fifths clause. We know that why that was put there is because of taxes. Okay, so it's based on population. Direct taxes are based on population. Now, what is a direct tax, though, is the real question. So Article 1, Section 9, Clause 4 says this. This is a prohibition on Congress. No capitation or other direct tax shall be laid unless in proportion to the census or enumeration herein before directed to be taken. So if you don't know what a capitation is, it's a poll tax, right? So you can't have a poll tax or any other direct tax unless in proportion to the census or enumeration. So it's got to be distributed evenly among the states. So there could be poll taxes. That's a direct tax. But they don't define anything else. They don't define really what a direct tax is. So what happened in 1796? The, the first Congress passed a tax on carriages, which is property. And this is the question. Can the Congress tax 
real property. It's not income. It's real property. So what was happening in this case pending before the Supreme Court is pretty interesting. What these people were saying, this is Charles and Kathleen Moore, this is um, the, the couple. They're saying that, well, you're taxing their property and therefore it would have to be apportioned among the several states. They're taxing real property. That's That would be a, a direct tax. 1796, the Hilton case actually upends all of that. Because what happened in the Hilton case is really important. So you have this tax on carriages. It was challenged in federal court by a, a citizen of Virginia. He owned a lot of carriages. In fact, probably more carriages than anybody else in the United States. So he said, look, this is a direct tax. You're taxing my property. Um, it's not an indirect tax like, say, a tariff. A tariff would be maybe an indirect tax because you have a tax that goes out. You tax imports. It's indirect because I'm not directly paying it. It's tacked on to the cost of a good, and that's it. Right. So uh, maybe an excise tax would be a direct tax. You could look at that as possibly a direct tax. But then those would be apportioned among the several states. Or maybe an excise tax is an indirect tax. Maybe that would be an indirect tax because, again, it's being tacked on to a product, whatever it is, say, uh, whiskey, for example, <laughs> which came out. So maybe that's an indirect tax because an excise tax is tacked on to a product. You just pay a little more for it. Everybody pays no matter what. Right? It's, all, it's all the same. Everybody pays it when you go buy your whiskey. You don't have to pay it if you want to if you don't buy whiskey. Okay, so these are consumption taxes, and perhaps they're indirect taxes. In fact, the general government was funded on these kind of taxes for years. So the question is, what about direct taxes? Would a tax on income be direct taxes? If you said, we're going to take your income, whatever you make, you made $1,000 this year, we're going to tax it at a certain percentage, or whatever we're going to do. Well, the Supreme Court actually found that that would constitute a direct tax because like a poll tax you got to pay a poll you got to pay a tax to vote so it should be apportioned properly so if you're going to say to someone boom this is a direct tax this is directly on you uh it's got to be apportioned properly in fact in the late 19th century the supreme court said that an income tax was in fact a direct tax and it had to be apportioned among the states so what happened well we had the 16th amendment if you read the language of the 16th amendment it says that look this actually skirts around the issue of apportionment. It's a direct tax, but it doesn't have to be apportioned. So that's the thing. What happened is that the Supreme Court actually decided an income tax was a direct tax. And therefore, uh, if you had to if, if it was, you had to apportion it. The 16th Amendment says it doesn't have to be apportioned. And it does say that Congress can tax just about anything they want that's const that constitutes income. Okay, So the, the 16th Amendment is pretty open on that. Now, here's the kicker. How do you do it? Can they tax just about anything that they want to that's called income? What conservative justices are trying to figure out in this is, yeah, they can. In fact, they could already do that because of the Hilton decision. You see, this is where this, this really large interpretation of what Congress can tax became dangerous. The Hilton decision, and Alexander Hamilton for three hours defended his tax, this carriage tax. It was his tax. He actually went to the Supreme Court 
and defended it himself. And you had four justices, all members of the founding generation, issue decisions independently, right? So I'm not going to use the Latin terms for this, but they issued decisions independently. That's how it was done until John Marshall got on the, on the bench. And so I talk about all that and how the Supreme Court screwed up America. But they all issued independent decisions and they all upheld the tax. It was the first time a federal law was upheld as constitutional. So this is the first instance of judicial review. But what Hamilton argued was that this wasn't a direct tax. A tax on carriage is a tax on property was an indirect tax because you're taxing the carriage. And um, it's not really direct. Now, it's a weird argument. Granted, it's a weird argument. And I think one that doesn't really, uh, doesn't really pass the tax test, right? The indirect or direct tax test. And there were people that were pointing this out. Wait a second here. Uh, I'm not so certain that what you're saying is accurate. Uh, but you had people like Adam Smith call it an indirect tax. You had other economists call it an indirect tax. In fact, the, Adam Smith called a carriage tax an indirect tax in Great Britain. So Hamilton was saying, well, this isn't, this isn't um, a, a direct tax. It's an indirect tax. Look at all these people uh, that, uh, that have said it's an indirect and not a direct tax. And again, I'm not going to steal my thunder because I want you to take this class and I talk about some of the opposition of this. But there were people that were pointing out some inconsistencies here. So the question is, again, what about direct and indirect taxes? Is this, a, is this a direct tax? Is taxing your reinvestment or investment into a foreign corporation and you don't get any income out of it, a $15,000 tax for doing it because you reinvested it, right? So, And the corporation gets dividends out of it. Is that a, Can you do that? That's the question before the Supreme Court. And it looks like they're going to side with the U.S. government and the Congress and saying they can tax these things. So let me get into this. Uh, this blog. This is by Amy Howe. And the title is, Or Arguments Suggest Narrow Ruling to Uphold Disputed Tax. Well, of course they would. Right? I, I, the thing is, of course they would. Of course the Supreme Court is going to do this. They're not going to destroy the entire tax code or any part of the tax code. There was actually a debate by a couple of federal society, or hosted by the Federal Society. One was a Federal Society scholar. The other uh, maybe a little more on the left. In fact, they were pro both probably Federal Society scholars, but one's probably a little more on the left and one's a little more on the right. See, this is the thing about people that bash the Federal Society. There's all kinds of people involved in that organization. It's not just conservatives. There are leftists involved in it because they want to get the cash when they actually appear in Federal Society programs. They want to go out speaking. They get, they get paid to do it. It's a good gig. So they're going to get involved in the Federal Society. I mean, it's, it's not necessarily all conservatives. And what they argued was, what is a direct tax? What isn't? The, the more leftist member of the debate said, look, the real question is, if you do this, you're going to destroy trillions of dollars in revenue. And you know what? That's how the leftist members on the bench argued for the tax. If we do it, we're going to destroy revenue for the United States. Trillions of dollars in revenue. So it wasn't, it's not really about the constitutionality of the tax. It's not really about whether this tax fits within the Constitution or not, or direct or indirect taxes. It's the application of it and what happens if we don't do it 
that really comes down to the issue here. It's, it's not about the Constitution. It's about the application and what would happen if we did not uphold this tax as constitutional. These are the kind of arguments you're getting. It's the practicality of the law, not the constitutionality of the law that's in question here. You see? So, for example, Obamacare might be unconstitutional, and it is. But if we get rid of it, what's going to happen? You're going to upend the entire health care system now. Social Security might be unconstitutional, and it is. But if we got rid of it, you're going to up, upend the entire social safety net structure in the United States. So you see, the Supreme Court doesn't really care about the constitutionality of something as much as they do the application and the effects of that law should they get rid of it. Generally, that's how they think about these things. It's not about the Constitution. Get that, understand that when these things go to the bench. Okay, so. The piece says, the Supreme Court on Tuesday appeared likely to reject a challenge to the constitutionality of a provision of a 2017 corporate tax reform law that taxes, that, that taxes the undistributed profits from U.S. shares of foreign corporations that are majority American-owned. The Washington State couple at the center of the case is seeking a refund of the one-time $15,000 increase in their tax bill as a result of the law. But the federal government's top lawyer told the justices that a ruling in the couple's favor could cause a sea change in the operation of the tax code and cost several trillion dollars in lost revenue, an argument that seemed to draw support from a majority of the justices. So look at this. From the beginning, the, the, the lawyer for the government is arguing that if we upend this tax, look at what's going to happen. We're going to see a sea change in corporate tax law and, and the tax code, and we're going to lose revenue. That's their argument. It's not about the Constitution at all. It's about the effect of a decision and what that would do. And this is what the leftist judges were. We're going to lose revenue for the general government. We're going to lose revenue. Well, we know that in the founding period, a lot of people wanted to choke the revenue of the government. This was the whole point. The Jeffersonians wanted to do it constantly. And in that Federalist Society debate, there was, again, the, the judge, the justice, not the justice, the, the, the professor who was a lawyer, was, who was saying that um, you know, these anti-Federalists didn't matter. Look, a lot of the anti-Federalists became Jeffersonians and they were involved in the government. A lot of them. Uh, a lot of the Federalists in favor of the Constitution actually became Jeffersonians because they saw the government as going too far in one direction. They wanted to choke it. In 1801, when the Jeffersonians take control of the Congress, they try to choke government revenue. They do almost everything they can to do it. They try to narrowly interpret all of these things and make it where the government has as little revenue as possible. That was the point. In fact, during the ratification of the Constitution, this was brought up over and over again, that the general government would exist primarily on tariffs, these kind of things, indirect taxes. Direct taxes would rarely be used only in emergencies, this is how Hamilton argued himself. Only in emergencies we'd have direct taxes. And not just that, uh, the states would be able to tax more than the general government because the general government's job was so narrowly defined. They didn't really have much to do. They didn't need a lot of revenue. So look at how things have flipped. The, of course, the opponents of the document, the anti-federalists, said this is, this is crazy. We're actually going to see the general government tax more than anything else, and it's going to destroy the taxing power of the states. Now, the states can still tax, but you look at how much you pay in your state tax bill compared to your federal tax bill, and it's inverted. 
So the general government has taken over the tax realm. And this is what they warned about. The tax at the center of the case is known as the Mandatory Repatriation Tax, a one-time tax imposed on the earnings after 1986 of foreign corporations in which U.S. shareholders own at least 50% of the stock. The tax applies regardless of whether the earnings were distributed to shareholders or whether the shareholders own the shares when the corporation made the earnings on which they are being taxed. So again, it doesn't matter if you've gotten the money out of it. It just matters how it was done, and it has to be an American-owned corporation, an American-owned foreign corporation. In 2005, the challengers, Charles and Kathleen Moore, invested $40,000 in an Indian corporation that aids small farmers in India, a sum that netted him 13% of the corporation's shares. The corporation reinvested its profits in the business so that they did not receive any distributions or dividends from the company. When the mandatory repatriation tax was enacted in 2017, they received a tax bill for roughly $15,000. This is the issue. This is an ex post facto law. The Constitution is clear in ex post facto laws. They can't do it. You see. So this is 2005 they did it. They're getting a tax bill in 2017, 12 years later. And look at what this happened. 1986, of course, you could go back to 1986. You could go back to 1987. 88, you could go back 40 years and blast people for this. 40 years. That sounds a lot like an ex post facto law. That should be how they're challenging this thing. The Moors went to federal court where they argued that the mandatory repatriation tax violates the Constitution's apportionment clause which requires taxes to be imposed so that its state share is proportional to its population because it taxed their personal property rather than any income from the corporation. Now, again, you got to go back to Hilton here. Carriages are property. What did Hamilton and all the other people say about this? Doesn't matter. That's an indirect tax. You see, so this is an indirect tax. Not a direct tax, it's an indirect tax. Now, you could say this is part of the U.S. tax code, but you could actually, because of the 16th Amendment, you actually get around that. This is an indirect tax. That's what Hilton argued. And in fact, when I discussed that issue and discussed that case and how the Supreme Court screwed up America, if you take this to its logical conclusion, anything can be taxed because of the Hilton case. Anything. Now, what the Supreme Court did in the Pollock case is say, well, you can't tax income like this. Direct income. Right? That's a direct tax. You're saying you made this much money, you pay this much. Okay, so you're looking at what you made and you got to pay a tax on that. So they said an income tax is unconstitutional unless it's apportioned. So what the Supreme Court, what, I'm sorry, what the, what the United States Congress did and then ratified by the states is say, well, we'll just have a 16th Amendment that makes it to where that doesn't apply to this. Okay, income is no longer part of that. It might be a direct tax, but it doesn't have to be apportioned. So what they're saying here is this is direct tax, it has, it's a tax, on, tax on property, the Hilton case already blew that out of the water. Okay, so this is this is a bad position to be in from the beginning. They should have gone back to an ex post facto law and not argued it in this way, because there's no way the Supreme Court's going to agree to this. So in 2005, the challengers Charles and Kathleen Moore again they did this. They received a tax bill for roughly fifteen thousand dollars. The Moore went to federal court where they argued the mandatory repatriation tax violates the Constitution's apportionment clause. And although the 16th Amendment to the Constitution carves out an exemption to the apportionment clause for income taxes, they contend they contended the Indian corporation's profits did not qualify as their income because they never received it. Now again, this is a flimsy argument. 
They should have been going after an ex post facto law. You can't go back and tax things that were done before 2017. I think the Supreme Court could actually say that. Okay, anything after 2017, you got to pay them back their 15000 bucks. Anybody that was taxed for anything before 2017, you got to pay them back. You got to get a refund for that. But anything after 2017, they can do it. That would be a way and to, to work this out. Okay. Representing the Moors on Tuesday, lawyer Andrew Grossman told the justices that the term income has long been understood to refer to gains that the taxpayer actually receives, such as rents, wages, and dividends. A gain is not income unless and until it has been realized by the taxpayer, he insisted. In this case, he asserted the Moors did not get anything from their investment, so that the tax is instead a tax on the ownership of property that violates the Constitution. Now, a tax on the ownership of property. Look, the Hilton case, carriages were property, and they taxed them anyways. You see? And Adonis Burke of South Carolina said, well, if they can do that, they can tax any property they want. Yes, they could. That was the whole danger of the Hilton case. They can. And the Supreme Court actually, the justices actually ruminate about this, and I'll get into that. They, they talk about it. U.S. Solicitor General Elizabeth uh, Preligar, I'm sorry, Preligar, I think that's how you say it, Elizabeth Preligar, representing the Biden administration, countered that the drafters of the 16th Amendment would have understood the Supreme Court's cases to allow taxes like the mandatory repatriation tax. And she assured the justices that they could uphold the tax and the lower court's decision with a narrow ruling. It is enough to say, she explained, that the mandatory repatriation tax targets income that foreign corporations actually received but Congress permissibly attributed to U.S. shareholders. So, it's these corporations actually received it, but it was attributed. Congress said, well, this is, the corporation got the money, and Congress said that goes to U.S. shareholders. So you can't hide your money in foreign corporations, in other words. This is what Congress is saying. You can't hide your money there. You can't invest in foreign corporations. You're still getting income out of that because the corporation's getting the money because you're investing it, right? But... The Moors are saying, well, we never got a dollar out of this. This went to the corporation. Congress has said, well, that's actually, that's, that's dividends. That's, that's income, you see. Again, I can see how this, I mean, the justices say this is very dangerous because they can tax anything. We'll get to that in a minute. And they can because of the Hilton case. They can. That's why that case screwed up America. Several of the justices appeared persuaded by, by uh, Preligar's reliance on the amendment's text and history. Justice Sonia Sotomayor noted that the concept of realization, the idea of receiving money, which the Moors and sisters required before something can qualify as income, was very well established when the 16th Amendment was adopted. The drafters could have used the term in the amendment, but did not, she observed, and there are examples of Congress taxing unrealized income. She's right about this. She's not incorrect. Yes, that's true. The Congress has taxed all kinds of things. Grossman pushed back, contending that when the 16th Amendment was adopted, the term income was commonly understood to refer to gains that had actually been realized. But Justice uh, Katani Brown Jackson was unpersuaded on that point. Why, she queried, should the justices rely on the common meaning of the term income, rather than its legal meaning? If the 16th Amendment was adopted to respond to the Supreme Court's cases on the meaning of the term income. So you've got all three liberal justices, Brown, Sotomayor and now Kagan saying that, yeah, they can tax anything they want. This is just Hilton. Of course, they can tax anything they want. This is the Obamacare decision. It was upheld because it's a tax.
You see, you're paying a tax if you don't have health insurance. <laughs> they can tax anything they want. They're paying you for not doing, they're paying a tax for not doing something. You see, that was how it was upheld. Otherwise, it would have been unconstitutional. Justice Elena Kagan chimed in, telling Grossman that aside from the question of whether the 16th Amendment imposes a requirement that income be realized, there is quite the history in this country of Congress taxing American shareholders on their gains from foreign corporations because the federal government can't tax foreign corporations themselves, but Congress wants to ensure that U.S. shareholders can't stash their money overseas and watch it grow. Why, Kagan asked somewhat rhetorically, is this any different? It's not. I mean, I think that all these justices are correct in how this was done. It's not, but that's the danger in everything, you see. That's the, Hil that's the danger of the Hilton decision. It opened the door to Congress taxing anything they wanted to tax. That's important, because what's really at stake here is the Hilton decision more than anything else, you see. And Justice Brett Kavanaugh appeared sympathetic to Preliger's plea for a narrow ruling. Even if the Supreme Court does not decide, he said, whether the 16th Amendment requires income to be realized before it can be taxed. In this case, the income was indeed realized by the corporation and then distributed to the shareholders by Congress. Such a rule, as far as both Kavanaugh and Justice Amy Coney Barrett were concerned, would allow the court to sidestep the 16th Amendment question altogether. Barrett asked Grossman whether the question before the justices was mere was more appropriately characterized as a question of fairness when Congress can attribute the Indian Corporation's income to the, to the Moors. The question of fairness, but what it should really be is a question of ex post facto. Is this an ex post facto law? They invested in 2005. They get a tax bill in 2017, 12 years later. Should that then be an ex post facto law? Kavanaugh echoed this line of thinking later, describing the dispute as an argument about timing. If the corporation receives the income and then Congress attributes it to the Moors, he suggested the only real wrinkle is that the mandatory repatriation tax goes back and captures income from earlier years. Aha! Uh -huh. Maybe Kavanaugh's onto something. Maybe they can be persuaded. Maybe Barrett and Kavanaugh and the other conservative justices can say, well, look, this really is an ex post facto law. You can't do it. You can, you can do this moving forward from 2017 forward, but you can't go back and tax people before that. That would be the appropriate thing to do here. Because I'm going to tell you, the way Congress has and the Supreme Court has described Congress's taxing power, it's unlimited. It's unlimited. This is exactly what the opponents of the Constitution said would happen. The proponents said, no, it won't. It won't happen. Direct taxes are only going to be used in emergencies. We're not going to do these things. We're going to live on frugal. We're going to do all this. We're not going to tax that much. It's going to be really bare bones. Of course, we've seen what's happened. I mean, you can look at that as originalist argument. All I mean, the first Congress started violated that. This is what I said. The Constitution died in 1789. It died then. But much of the argument focused on concerns about the possible broader implications of the court's ruling. Some of the court's conservative justices worried that, as Grossman put it, a ruling for the government would open the door to taxation of practically everything. That's already been done. 1796, the Hilton case. This is what? This is fascinating to me. This has already been done. Congress did this 200 plus years ago, 220 years ago. They already opened the, the door to every, taxing everything. 
because it's all indirect taxes, supposedly. Justice Clarence Thomas asked whether Congress could tax an increase in the value of real estate. Sure. I mean, why not? They can tax anything they want. While Justice Neil Gorsuch asked about the possibility of a tax on retirement investment accounts, which millions of Americans hold. Sure, why not? They could do it. Now, the question is, politically, would they do it? It would be so unpopular it wouldn't happen. But I'm going to tell you, if they got, I mean, maybe the Congress would say, you know what? If you've got a property that's worth a million dollars or more, they could just set a value on it. A million bucks. Your property's worth a million dollars. Or maybe we'll go, we'll go ultra rich, right? Because in some places around the United States, a million dollars gets you really nothing. So we'll go $5 million plus. You have to have an appraisal every year on that property. If the appraised value is more than a certain amount, you've got to pay the tax on that. They could do it. They could do whatever they, could do whatever they want. <laughs> Trust me. That's the Hilton decision. This is what's so funny about this. They're, they're raising hypotheticals. What if we do this? They could already do it. But it was Justice Samuel Alito who faced and but rebuffed calls to recuse himself from the case because of his ties to an attorney involved in the Moore side of the case, who was perhaps most skeptical of the government's position. Alito pressed Preligar on a variety of scenarios, including whether Congress could levy a tax on the appreciation in the stock's value or the increase in the value of mutual funds. And he was skeptical of Preligar's assurances that the court did not need to address those questions and that Congress did not have a tradition of imposing such taxes. Well, I mean, of course they could do it. But see, that would be going outside. That would be a dictum. They'd be going outside. So what, what's happening here is that the, the government is saying, let's have a narrow, let's not go beyond. Let's just look at the case itself. We're going to focus on this one thing. We're not going to stretch this out anywhere else. We're not going to be activists, in other words. That's what, the, that's what the government is actually asking the Supreme Court to do, not be an activist Supreme Court and go beyond the question of the case and rule and have a broader ruling. That's what they're doing here. It's hilarious because the left is asking the Supreme Court to focus on the issue at hand alone when the left for years has created their entire federal apparatus by doing the exact opposite thing. That's what they're asking the Supreme Court to do. Other justices, however, were more persuaded by Predigar's insistence that the scenarios raised by Alito, Gorsuch, and Thomas were hypotheticals that are unlikely ever to come to pass. So what? <laughs> yeah, they're hypotheticals. And we know that politically they probably wouldn't happen, but they could happen. And they could they've could have happened since 1796. Congress, she explained, generally opts to impose taxes based on income that has actually been received because it is easiest from an administrative perspective. The justices should not rely on such far-fetched possibilities to invalidate critical portions of the tax code, she concluded. I mean, again, see what's happening here? Yeah, I mean, all this could happen. Congress has all this power, sure. But they're not going to do it, so we shouldn't rule on this. Think about that. Again, this is 1796. Kagan agreed, dismissing the scenarios advanced by colleagues, by her colleagues as taxes we'll probably never see in our lifetime. So what? I mean, you think about this. So what? <laughs> in so many ways, so what? That was the heart of the 1796 decision. That's why that case screwed up America so badly. I mean, ta Congress can tax anything. They could tax anything. They could tax the air. They could tax the water. They could tax anything because it's all indirect taxes. 
Kavanaugh asked that is added that his colleagues' hypotheticals were far-fetched because members of Congress want to get reelected. Again, they're looking at this from a political standpoint. It's what I said. Congress won't probably won't do these things, but they could. You see, what all these hypotheticals brought up is true. Congress could do all of the above if they wanted to, and they could have done it anytime they wanted because of the Hilton v. United States case. Not because of anything else, not because of the 16th Amendment, but because of that decision. If some of the court's conservative members were worried about the possible implications of a rule for the government, other members of the court expressed concerns that a ruling for the Moors would put, as Kagan said, other very established taxation schemes at risk. Taxation schemes. Think about that scheming. How can we get revenue? How can we get money? How can we get more money out of people? It's a taxation scheme. Think about it. What they're saying. These concerns, particularly when combined with the comments by Kavanaugh and Barrett, seem to suggest a narrow ruling for the government leaving broader questions for another day. That's exactly what's going to happen. I don't think Kavanaugh, Roberts, maybe even Barrett, you might get three that would say that would rule for the Moors, maybe Alito, Gorsuch, and Thomas, but the other six are going to rule in a narrow ruling. They're not going to address any other issues. The real question is, and I think they could have won if they just said, look, it's an ex post facto law. It goes back. You can't tax stuff that was done years before. You pass the tax in 2017. Anything that happens after 2017, hey, you can tax us for it. But anything else, if it goes back, no, you can't. That's the real issue. All right. See you next time on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.